to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so today we will post the sermon that was preached this morning at Christ Church Conway. Beginning in verse 11, and we're going to read down through 26. Originally, this sermon was going to be on Mark uh, 1 through 20, Mark 1 through 21, but I'm going to add that last section and, and you'll see why in, when we get to the, the sermon. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples, I'm realizing now that I just read this part just a minute ago. I started at verse 1 instead of verse 11. I apologize for that. Starting back at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Father, as I lead us once again to look at your word, I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit, that I might speak only in his power, and that therefore we might see clearly the wonders of our Savior. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. So the reason that I went back and added on this story about the deaf man is because as we read through these stories, oftentimes we deal with them kind of as separate stories, and there's certainly a lot that could be teased out doing it that way. But there's also some interesting details that Mark leaves out of the individual stories that that kind of make it hard to figure out why why is he telling this story this way? 
And in fact, some of the details are found in Matthew and Luke, but aren't in Mark. Like why the, the Pharisees, why the leaven of the Pharisees was so bad. We see that it's their teaching and their hypocrisy, but, but Mark doesn't leave that out. Or Mark doesn't include that. I'm sorry, he leaves that out. And, and so as, as I looked at these passages, I, I started to think that, and, and started to see that, you know what, these are, I think Mark is telling these stories in this order and, and kind of in this way to make this bigger point that's about to start changing in the second part of the Gospel of Mark. See, the very next thing is when Peter finally does get it and confesses that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. But right here we have these stories of people kind of not getting it. Or, or really what we have is this, these stories of, of five different people that desperately need Jesus and, and can't get him on his own. And what they actually need from Jesus is for him to come and help them. So the first story we looked at last week was this story of this deaf man. And he needs Christ. He needs to be healed. He, he needs to be made whole again. He needs to have his ears opened. And his friends bring him to Jesus. And Jesus, we looked at last week, the kind of the irony that, that Jesus spoke and this guy was healed. So somehow in his deafness, his ears heard the command to be opened and they obeyed. And that's the, the wonder of what it is that Jesus does for us. He gives us ears to hear. But then immediately on the hills of that story, we've got this story about these 4,000. And it, it sounds very similar to the feeding of the 5,000 that we considered just a couple chapters ago. In fact, some people from kind of the, the higher critical school think that this is just a repeat of that story and that that's what's going on here. But there's some key differences that, that make us go, no, this is a separate time where Jesus did a, a very similar miracle. You don't have the overturned or, or uh, kind of the, the colorings of the insurrection that you did with the, the 5,000. This seems to be a, a more kind of quote unquote innocent congregation that has gathered because they're just fascinated with, with what Jesus is saying. They're not seeing him as this king that they're trying to, to put in place. In fact, probably a great deal of these, because of where they are, are Gentiles, so they particularly wouldn't have even been all that concerned about the, the Jewish kingdom, so to speak. But they're there listening to Jesus. But the irony in this story is they can't feed themselves. And so Jesus has to feed them. Then on the hills of that, you have the Pharisees demand this sign. And the Pharisees show up and, and, and they're, they're demanding this sign and it's a miracle that they want to see, something that's going to validate Jesus' ministry. And Jesus doesn't give them a sign. Instead, he kind of dismisses them and, and leaves. And some commentators see this as, as him kind of saying, look, I, from this point on, I'm done dealing with the Pharisees. Then when they're in the boat crossing the lake, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples who seem to have completely missed the point of so much. But it's, it's a conversation about the Pharisees and the leaven. But the disciples think it's about the fact that they don't have enough bread to eat. And so then it becomes a conversation about, I just fed 4,000 people. 
and you had seven baskets left over. And right before that, I fed 5,000 people and you had 12 baskets left over. What is it that you don't get yet, disciples? These, these are the guys that are with Jesus all the time. They're seeing the miracles. They're hearing the ministry. They're, they're hearing the word of God preached and they're just not getting it. And then there's this, and, and in that, sorry, in that, he, he goes back to this Isaiah 6 idea of, of eyes to see and ears to hear. And then Mark adds this last story where Jesus opens the eyes of a blind man because he can't see. And so his friends had to bring him to Jesus. So when we, when we kind of look at this whole section together, it's bookended by the reality of Jesus being the one who gives ears to hear and who gives us eyes to see. And then if you go kind of in a step from that, there's this, these two stories about bread and, and Jesus being the one who feeds us. And then you go in a story from that and there's this story about these Pharisees that demand this sign. And of all the people... They're the only ones that get nothing from Jesus. Nothing. So that's where we're going to start as we kind of unpack some of what's going on in this story. Is right there in that middle section looking at the Pharisees. After all these things have happened, they come and it says, and this is important to see how they put it, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. It wasn't necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily wrong now, I don't suppose, to, to ask God for a sign, to ask Him for something to, to give you some direction of what He would have you do. We see all through the Old Testament that happens. And, and God responds favorably to them. But here, they ask for a sign to test Him. And, and, and it says already that they began to argue with Him. So, so this idea of asking for a sign is kind of surrounded by these two kind of negative ideas that they've shown up arguing, debating Jesus because they don't believe who he is. And, and then they, they demand a sign that they want some kind of, of miracle, but not a miracle kind of in and of itself. They want a miracle that, that proves from heaven that he is who he says he is. And then we see on the other side of that that they're doing this to test him. They're, they're try, they're, they've put Jesus on trial and they want him to meet their demands for evidence. In other words, they want him to be the Jesus that they want. That's what they want to, the sign to prove. Prove to, to us that you're the Jesus that we want. The Jesus that's going to do the things we want done. The Jesus that's going to go after the agendas that, that we want pursued. Because see, here's how they were. They were the religious people that thought they pretty well had it figured out. They thought they pretty well had their theology ironed out. They thought they pretty well had things under control. They thought they pretty well knew how it was all supposed to go. Herod is also mentioned, and, and he was kind of in the same boat from a secular standpoint. 
He was kind of the local king, and, and, and politically, from a secular standpoint, he kind of thought he had it figured out and knew how things were supposed to go. And, and we'll come back to him in the, in, the, in the yeast passage. But these Pharisees were acting and walking in just complete and total pride. Nothing else. They thought, we know how it's supposed to work. We know how it's supposed to go. And we're looking for the Jesus that's going to make it go the way we think it's supposed to go. Now for me personally, and and, and I bet for a lot of us, that rings a little bit more true than what we're comfortable with. That we think we know how our life is supposed to go. We think we know kind of what's supposed to happen and what it's supposed to look like and, and, and how positive it's supposed to be and how easy it's supposed to be and, and, and all of these different things. We, we think we know, we think we've got it figured out and we know how it's supposed to go. And a lot of times, we spend a lot of time looking for the Jesus that's going to do what we want. We're looking for the Jesus we think we want, or, or really, we're looking for the Jesus that, that we want, that we think we need, rather than looking to the Jesus, to the Christ that the Father has actually provided. And so we, we look to Jesus to, to give us you know, all the good things that make life awesome. We look to Jesus to give us you know, success in, in life, success in ministry, success in our marriage, success in our parenting, success in our friendships. We, we want Jesus to be, you know, King Midas, basically, but for us. We want him to turn us into King Midas. And, and that's what the Pharisees essentially wanted. They thought they had it figured out. In their pride, they, they went looking for that Jesus. And so when they found this guy, who, who people were starting to say, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the one we're waiting on, what they wanted to do was test him because they, he was doing some things that they weren't real sure about. It didn't seem like, just on the surface of things, it, it didn't seem like he was super down with their agenda. And so they needed to test him. They tried arguing with him, but he usually won the arguments because he's God and he's pretty sharp. And so they're like, well, then then prove to us that you are not who you say you are, but who we want you to be. They were trying to, to get him to prove their theory of him, not who he actually was. And, and here's the thing that we're all all too familiar with, or at least a lot of us I think probably are, is Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus isn't really into who we want Him to be for us. He's not really into being the Jesus that, that our flesh wants. He's not really into that at all. He kind of hates it. He, he kind of thinks that when we approach Him that way, that we're completely missing who he actually is. And so he responds with this question. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given 
to this generation. And then he leaves. Essentially what he's saying is, hey, I'm I'm not playing your game. I'm not into it. It's a dumb game. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't go anywhere. I'm not going to be who you want me to be. I'm not here to do your will. I'm here to do my Father's will. And I've already shown that. And you don't care. And so you're not getting what you're asking for. I'm not going to prove to you. One, he just doesn't want to. But two, he can't because he's not the Jesus they were looking for. And so often he's, he's not the Jesus we're looking for either. And so that's the hard part of this sermon. Because it just rings way too true. Because we do act in our pride and, and, and we do act in our brokenness and, and we do like just stupid stuff. And, and, and what we want Jesus to do is just come along and fix it. And we know enough to talk about forgiveness and justification and all of those things. But really what we want is just Jesus to fix things so our life looks like we want it to. We would be 100% satisfied if he would just do that. And that's the problem. He won't because that's not who he is and it's not actually who or what we need. What we need is the Jesus that these other four groups got. And it's fantastic to see how they got him. Because they got what they couldn't get for themselves. See, the Pharisees, they could have provided all the things that they were looking for. There had already been, like, in in Jewish history, there's this thing called the Maccabean Revolt. Where they like they overthrew the powers and like reestablished Israel. They didn't need Jesus to do that. They could take up arms. They could fight. They, they won by, by guerrilla warfare. They, they were shrewd. They knew how to do those things. They didn't need Jesus for what they wanted. They just needed to make it a little bit easier. So we're not so tired at the end of it all and can actually enjoy it. But these other people, they couldn't provide what they wanted. This deaf man couldn't unstop his own ears. These 4,000 couldn't feed themselves. The disciples couldn't figure it out. They, they They couldn't get their heads around it. They, all, all they knew was enough, and sometimes they even forgot this, all they knew was enough to know that Jesus isn't here to be the Jesus we want him to be. They knew that much most of the time. But sometimes they would forget and try to like walk on water. Sometimes they would forget and be like, give me the seat at your right hand. Sometimes they would forget and argue about who's the greatest. Sometimes they would you know, forget and be like, hey, why can't we do the thing with the demons? So, so they didn't get it all the time, but, but a lot of the time they understood who Jesus was. But even here and there not getting it, they got him. That's what's so amazingly comforting about this. And then there's this blind man at the end. He couldn't see Jesus. He, he needed him to heal him, 
But, you know, if, if I was like, Mike, close your eyes and now find Daniel. We would all just sit here laughing at you. Because you, you couldn't get across the room. Even if you looked you're like, okay, he's over there. And then you close your You wouldn't be able to. And, and Jesus is just somewhere in the greater Israel area. And this guy's blind. He wasn't going to find him. His friends had to bring him. But he, but he got what, what Jesus was there to provide him for. What he tells us in, in Isaiah 6 points to this greater thing. Ears to hear, eyes to see. And that's what this whole section of Mark, I think, is actually about. It's about the fact that when we think we know what Jesus is supposed to be for us, and we go demanding that He prove Himself in that way, we've completely and utterly missed who He is. But when we come to Him, in all of our ravaged, foolish, deaf, blind hunger, we actually get Jesus. When we come to Him, as undone as we actually are, we actually get Him. And that simultaneously is comforting and scary because it means we've got to come as we are it means we've got to fess up to to how we actually are it means we've got to fess up to to the depth of our sin even if it's just to, to ourselves that we need to fess up it means that we've got to fess up to the fact that, that a lot of times we're actually just using jesus To be who we want him to be. But the comforting part is, our ears do get unstopped. He does give us the bread of life, which is himself, and we are, we we do eat and have our fill and are satisfied. He does come to us in, in our foolishness. Where, where we've been with Him and we've seen the incredible things that He does, but we're still just not getting it like the disciples. We're, we're not antagonistic. We're not trying to necessarily make Him something He's not like the Pharisees, but we've seen the signs. We're not asking for signs, but we're still with Jesus wondering, how is this going to be enough? That's what the disciples were doing in the boat. They're, they're with the guy who had just fed way more people with seven loaves of bread. And they're looking at what they have when they hear Jesus say, beware the leaven of Pharisees. They're like, oh, leaven. We don't have enough bread. How are we going to (laughs) eat? They completely miss what Jesus is saying. But even in their foolishness, even in their not having eyes and ears yet, as he asks them in verse 18. Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? They still get Jesus. They still get him in their weak, 
confused, foolish faith. He doesn't leave them. He doesn't look at them like he did the Pharisees and say, I'm going to the other side. He stays with them. And he leads them, as we're going to see next week, to the place of confessing who he actually is. See, that's the beauty of these stories when we read them all together. Is that the way we're to come to Jesus is undone. We're to come to him deaf and blind. Because what he does is gives us ears and eyes to hear and see. We're to come to him hungry and confused because what he does is feeds us until we're satisfied and teaches us with all the patience in the world, this is who I am. That's how we're to come to him. Not like the Pharisees thinking, okay, I've figured out who this dude is and this is what he's about, so I'm going to go to him for that. Even if we're given the right answers, even if we're saying he's about justification and so I'm going to go to him for that. Yes, we sh- obviously we should do that. I get that. I'm not denying that at all. But when we come that way, when we say, okay, so this is what sin is and this is what justification is and that's what I need and so I've got all my categories straight. Jesus, I've figured it out. Here's what I need from you. I need question, what is it, 35, 32, somewhere in there. I need that from you. I need you to do that for me. Even when we're doing that, we're still coming like the Pharisees. It's not that we don't need to be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not that we don't need our sins forgiven. That's what Jesus is about. But the only way to come to him and get that is deaf and hungry and confused and blind. That's who gets Jesus. The absolutely most broken undone people and nobody else nobody else gets them and when we walk in our pride like I've done we miss them we'll get all the stupid questions right about who he is and what he's done and we'll learn old dead language and we'll freaking miss him completely So come with me, deaf and hungry and confused by your own theology and blind. Because we'll get Jesus. And he'll give us ears to hear. And he'll satisfy us. And he'll clear up our thinking about who he is and what he's about. And he'll open our eyes. And everything else may fade. But we'll see the most glorious thing we can. That's the face of our Savior. That's what we get right here. Let's pray.
God, we come too often thinking we know what we need. Thinking we've categorized everything just right and have figured out this is what I need from Jesus. We even come thinking we know how much of it we need. And when we do that, we come to you as Pharisees. And you won't prove yourself to us. Because your desire is that we come deaf and hungry and confused and blind. And you strengthen our weak knees. And you don't break the bruised reed. But you give us sight. You give us the food we need. You unstop our ears. And you put a true confession in our mouth. Help us to come to you that way. Amen.